Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast. I'm David Chen, and with me are... Devinter Hardwire. And Jeff Kanata. Welcome to the show, everyone. On today's podcast of the Slash Filmcast, what we're going to do is discuss some what we've been watching and then move on into an in-depth review. This week, we'll be reviewing the rhythm section, Reed Morano's new assassin thriller starring Blake Lively. So a lot to get to today, but something we like to do at the beginning of many Slash Filmcast episodes is uh, we like to get the emails. Emails and very often corrections. Uh, this email comes in from Rob Summers from Austin, Texas, and he had a correction for something that I, David Chen, erroneously said on last week's episode. I know it's really difficult to imagine that I would make a mistake on the podcast, but sometimes yeah. it, on an extremely rare occasion it does happen. I, I'm really uh, going to savor this one, I will say. <laughs> I tried to stop you all. Uh, so Rob writes in, hello, my dear slash film hosts, or as Steve Buscemi would say, hello, fellow kids. I know at this point you're buried under the kindness of all of your uh, listeners tripping over themselves to correct you about the latest episode. I thought I would jump into the fray just to gently and respectfully point out that the term EGOT, a term standing for the ultimate goal of winning an Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, and Tony, was not coined by 30 Rock, as stated by Mr. Chen. EGOT is instead attributed to the great thespian known as Philip Michael Thomas, perhaps best known for his indelible performance as Ricardo Tubbs on the 80s game-changing Miami Vice series, despite his excellent work in Perry Mason, the case, the case of the Ruthless Reporter and Swamp Thing episode. I miss that guy, honestly, yeah. All kidding aside, he's very good in the show. <laughs> Um, anyway, he first discussed the term in a 1985 Playboy interview, and he qualified uh, that the Emmy in an EGOT should be for primetime and not daytime Emmys. Despite coining the term, Thomas did not complete the goal of his own EGOT. Notable EGOT winners include Audrey Hepburn, Whoopi Goldberg, Mel Brooks, and John Legend. Notable fictional winners include Tracy Jordan. Here is a great and short Atlantic article about the EGOT origins, and it rightfully attributes its reemergence to 30 Rock. And then uh, there's a link to an Atlantic article here that I will put in the show notes. Uh, also, since I'm here, I want to point out that Jeff was talking about Trailer Park Boys, and he was right just to mention it, uh, along with similar comedies and the guy with the big glasses. <laughs> I knew immediately what he was talking about, like the rest of your listeners, who also could not Thank wait you. to correct our dear hosts. Uh, for real, though, I've loved the Slash Filmcast for years. My twin brother, Russ, and I discuss your reviews in the same way we discuss Friends movie reviews, because we think of you that way. Thank you for putting some good in the universe. If there was an EGOT for podcasters, you'd all have one. Much love, Rob from Austin, Texas. Ah, thanks, Rob. Thanks, Rob. Appreciate that. Even though, like, an EGOT for podcasters doesn't really make any sense, I appreciate the sentiment. Uh, but yes, EGOT... no, it's because it because <laughs> the slash film cast would be optioned into a film, and then that film would be turned into the Broadway hit musical, mm. and then that musical would then be adapted for television, and then of course that television series would have an album of spoken. <laughs> keep word. going. Keep going. Yes. <laughs> All the while, we're just keeping on and keeping on our little podcast, you know. And then, but, yeah. but we're EGOT winners, just like Thirty Rock coined. Uh, yeah. So Thirty Rock <laughs> did not invent the term EGOT. Uh, I'm sorry for making people feel that that was the case, or or, or for saying that, I should say. And uh, uh, but they did contribute to its reemergence. So in the end, I think I was only, I, I'd say, half wrong. Tops. Yeah. I would. I would say they are 100% responsible, not for its reemergence, but for any emergence whatsoever. Because ain't nobody be talking about it if it was just some some offhanded comment by Michael Thomas. I'm just saying. You're uh, right. No, you are right. That was not the argument. That right. was not the argument in question. All 
All credit to Michael Thomas, uh, except for the credit that involves anybody knowing what it was. <laughs> so, uh, you t- speaking of things that are being made into movies, did you guys see the announcement today that Disney is bringing Hamilton to the big screen? Uh, yeah, but in a really weird way, right? Well, uh, a- according to the news, right, after a-, a long set of negotiations, uh, they are filming a live performance of the of the show? No, Sorry. they filmed it in 2014. Oh, yeah, yeah. they filmed okay. it years ago. It's a yeah. live performance of the original cast from 2014, and they're releasing it in 2021 and announcing it here in 2020. You got to give those things seven years to marinate, Jeff, you know? <laughs> listen, this listen, is this is like the Avatar all over again. You know, you this is not all that Broadway money, basically. And also, <laughs> yeah, that's true. The, the roadshow. Like, yeah, no, for sure. That's exactly what that's about. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, but this is not a cat situation. This is not a we're making the musical into a film where we're then, you know, shooting it like a film. It's not Chicago. Not yet. Or... Not yet. Give it five years, Jeff. And we will <laughs> also have the Hamilton film adaptation. I, no doubt you are correct, Davinja. No doubt. But this particular announcement is not that and yeah. is a kind of an odd thing. There's. Something that I've mentioned on the show several times now uh, that I love is the um, the National Theater of London, uh, uh, Britain's National Theater, does uh, – I called it of London. I don't know if that's the correct term. Anyway, Britain's National Theater does a the, series in very select theaters usually the in – Fathom um, events, right? Yes, the, yeah. correct. And usually, they're usually art house theaters. There's many of them here in Los Angeles. I don't know how widespread they are across America, but they – are, I think, actually, maybe not actually, but I think they are actually live broadcast. Like, they broadcast them when the actors are on the stage at the same moment uh, in movie theaters. But I could be wrong. They could be recording them and broadcasting them. But anyway, they are very limited uh, broadcasts on a big screen of a live theater performance. Uh, of the the play that is currently on stage at the National Theater. And I enjoy them very, very much. They're done really, really well. They're shot well. But it is you watching live theater in a movie theater on a big screen. And I think that's much more like what this Hamilton release is going yeah. to feel like. Definitely. Mm-hmm. A, a few clarifications. First of all, it is um, the show was live captured in 2016, which was... Uh, when it still featured the company that kind of helped build the show. So I think like Lin-Manuel Miranda uh, was still in it at that point. Like he's not in it anymore. Um, but uh, yeah. That says more this... about me subtracting four from today <laughs> and getting 2014. Oh, nice. That's what that Because I knew it was four years ago. It, yeah. I just am not, not prepared to be living in 2020 yet. That, no, that's uh, fair enough. That's fair or enough. Or 2019, um, it turns out. <laughs> uh, we're in 2020. FYI, just so you know, Jeff. Um, I'd rather... <laughs> I'd rather not. Remember when 2019 was over and we're like, man, I'm glad that's over. Yeah, uh, yeah 2020 sure like shit the bed within the first month. <laughs> Just like we got World War Three going on. We got we got a pandemic coming. No time. Yeah. Wasted no time. Wasted no time. Uh, also, apparently, Disney play, uh, paid 75 million dollars for global rights for the finished film. Yeah. I think this Which is a... honestly is the price of just four tickets. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's this true. is great because a, I mean, this is something I said when Cats came out is they should have just filmed the show. It would have been a lot less money and uh, arguably a better experience. Although, because Cats is so singularly weird and terrible, it will become a cult classic. But I there think are, There are like, also filmed Cats shows out there. Like they, They've been on, I believe, PBS and other places. I saw it somewhere as a kid. So, mm. 
That exists. But I, I think one of the experiences I had when I was watching Hamilton live, I saw it at the Pantages in Los Angeles, is, wow, that was a, an incredible theater-going experience. I mm-hmm. wish everyone could have it, and it's unfortunate that not everyone can because it's not playing everywhere, or if it is playing somewhere, the tickets might be extremely expensive. Uh, and also, and, like, most of the seats that you can probably afford are way in the back. Like, right. bad theater seats, I think, are, as much as I love the live theater experience, like, I saw Hamilton maybe halfway back in the original theater where it started here, here and... um I could see everything, but I really could not see a lot of, you know, fine details. So I actually would love going back and watching something like this and being like you're in the front row, basically, right? Yeah. Like getting a full view of it. Yeah. According to uh, Thomas Kale, who who directed the show, um, he's very happy that, quote, um, we are thrilled for fans of the show and new audiences across the world to experience what it was like on stage and in the audience. When we shot this at the Richard Rogers Theater in June of 2016, we wanted to give everyone the same seat which is what this film can provide, end quote. So it, it really is kind of like, hey, that's one of the great things about movies mm-hmm. is, is there's some, there's like a democratizing element to them that like everyone, you know, president, uh, like uh, the president of the United States and, you know, the person who lives down the street from you can have the same experience watching this movie because it's the same kind of piece of media. We chose um, seat 16F. It's not a great seat, but it is the same seat for everybody. It is the same seat for everyone. Yeah, yeah. So I'm it was very... about fifty bucks cheaper than the seat next to it. So they that's just where they had to fill them. You, you'll hear the lady next to you snoring, and the fella two rows ahead of you going, "What's he saying? What did he say?" They're talking too fast. I'm very excited. That's not how Hamilton really looked. <laughs> I'm very excited to see uh, this movie uh, get out into the world and for more people to experience it, for more people to talk about it. I, it's it's going to be great. And The bidding um, war for that, by the way, must have been something. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I'm sure it was like Disney just like had the lock from the beginning, but I'm sure like that's a, that would have been a fascinating story to hear how, you know, whoever got the rights to that and how that whole deal went down. Four year long bidding war, evidently, because they just sat on this thing and they're like, hey, 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 we got it. <laughs> we got it. There is so I, a couple couple things. First of all, like Lin Manuel Miranda does have like a relationship with Disney. He wrote songs mm-hmm. for Moana and for uh, the new Mary Poppins, right? So like uh, he he does kind of have a bit of a home he's there. He's in Mary Poppins, yeah. yeah, yeah. He's in Mary Poppins as well. But also, uh, it's kind of an interesting financial question of when is the right time to turn on the film money spigot, right? For mm-hmm. a uh, musical like this because when they offer 75 million dollars <laughs> that's that that's right a, that's time. apparently the moment that is apparently the moment. <laughs> uh but yeah i mean uh there's many popular musicals like think about like book of mormon or wicked wh- that have not been made into films yet because they're still mm-hmm. milking it on uh on broadway and uh in live performances around the world so uh the, the wicked musical ha- is something that's been talked about but like Again, this is probably going to beat Wicked to the big screen. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I, I would actually. I so I've seen Wicked. I was probably in like among the last rows, so I saw absolutely nothing because that is in a giant theater here in New York. <laughs> so that's one of those things. I would like to see Wicked for real one day, rather than hear the music. The but Dave, Wicked, you're saying that the, the Wicked is not a film yet because the musical is still too popular. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Uh. No, actually, yep. that's not what I'm saying. Because I, mm. the Wicked musical is actually scheduled for release in December of 2021. 
Um, ah. So there is going to be a universal-backed version of that movie. Uh, I do but... feel like they waited a little too long for Wicked. Like, the, <laughs> the cultural conversation around Wicked is not there right now. Um, but Hamilton, like, Hamilton's still hot. People you kidding still... me? You kidding me? Yeah. Whenever I go into work, people are like, did you see Wicked over the weekend? <laughs> no, I'm just joking. That doesn't happen. Uh, I, I agree with you. I think I think Hamilton is striking while the iron is hot, and Wicked mm-hmm. maybe that's is a little bit too long. Book of Mormon is a, is another musical I'd love to see on the big screen, uh, and I think just filming people doing it on, on you know a live stage, performing the musical on a live stage, that is extremely compelling in and of itself. I don't mm-hmm. think you need uh, cat morphing technology to make it more interesting. You know, I'm, I would I'm like very... to see some of these recorded in like VR or something too. You know, because like yeah. there's there's a lot you could do with that. Like just the immersiveness of something like, yeah, something like Hamilton, like being feet from the stage or like being able to like look around everything. That would be kind of fun too. Yeah. Well, the Hamilton musical, is something you can look forward to again. I think October 2021 is when it's going to happen. So. Uh, and it'll it'll hit theaters in that uh, in that time frame. So uh, really psyched. Okay, let's get to what we've been watching this week. David Gerhardo, what have you been watching this week? I poured one out for the good place, which is it's done. It's done. It's finally done uh, after four seasons. Um, this show is incredible, guys. I don't know how far along you've watched or how much of it you've seen. But I remember talking about The Good Place here on the show and being like, oh, yeah, this is a really fun thing for Mike Schur. has a really interesting premise. Um, what we never really talked about is, like, how mind-boggling the twists have been. And I'm not going to spoil any of that here. Um, it is all up on Hulu right now. It may be streaming elsewhere, too. Uh, but this this show, it is a fun sitcom. It has a great premise about people trying to find themselves in the afterlife, basically. Um but it's also a deep exploration of philosophy and moral philosophy. And I think that bit of it was not apparent from the start, because like this is a show that can be really, really high minded and talk about, uh, you know, the works of the greatest philosophers and then go straight into a fart joke. And it's like how it balances those two things is kind of remarkable. Uh, the twists have been consistently astounding, um, how it changes things up and the characters they built. Like, I love I love this core cast. And what an amazing cast, too. Like, everybody loves Kristen Bell already. But, like, Jamila Jamil coming in from practically nowhere. She was a TV announcer, I believe, in the UK. Uh, William Jackson Harper, we'd never really seen him before. Darcy Carden is now, like, a phenomenon on her own. And, uh, yeah, Manny Jacinto. This show ended in such a perfect way. I'm not going to say anything about the final season. Because if I say, if I give you one detail, it kind of spoils, like, where the series as a whole goes. Let's just say it is... I think one of the most plot dense and nuanced and interesting TV narratives I've ever seen. And certainly an astounding one to see coming from, you know, the the framework of a sitcom. It's so good. And the finale, the finale made me cry. The finale made me tear up. The finale made me question, you know, existence and how we exist as human beings and how we live with each other and what we owe to each other as people. It is such a beautiful and deep show. So, guys, you should watch it. I think, especially yeah. right now in this trash fire of a world, it is a perfect, perfect show. It's a, it's an amazing uh, science fiction show, right? Basically, it's, it's, just, it's yeah. good sci-fi, and uh, the way that good sci-fi comments on the real world in really interesting ways. I'm only about halfway through season two, and okay, I'm in that. You, you got a lot ahead of you. I do indeed, wild. and I I have a that terrible situation where. Uh, I really dig the show, but my wife doesn't care for it. So oh. basically means I don't get to watch it, but uh, yeah. I, I 
pick up episodes as I can, but I'm, I'm slowly working my way through it. And I was blown away at the end of season one. And I know that it continues yeah. to have twists and turns. So it's one of the best TV twists probably ever, because I think it kind of came out of nowhere. But if you were, if you were paying attention, I think you kind of got a little bit of hints of it. Um, but what's astounding to me is like, they really stuck the landing in terms of like the philosophy of it, like the ideas of what they're building and yeah, it's a show about how to be good and it takes some really dry philosophy and things like I spent my entire college experience reading, you know, Western philosophy and it is, it's hard to read. It's hard to parse. It's hard to understand. I can only imagine like how difficult it must've been to like transform a lot of those ideas and turn it into a TV show that is easily consumable by, you know, anyone. And I'm glad that the show has been a success too. So yeah, shout out to the good place. Shout out to Mike Schur, who I think is pretty much one of, he is my favorite TV comedy showrunner right now. Cause like everything he does is just gold. All right. That's the good place. Just wrapped up uh, its fourth and final season. Uh, Devinder, what else have you been watching? So take all my goodwill about the good place <laughs> and kind of go the exact opposite way. And that's kind of how I feel about Avenue Five, which is the new Armando Nucci show on HBO about um, it's it's about a space cruise ship. And I guess that's all I can say, because like there are certain elements of it that uh, also they tried to keep as a surprise. But stars Hugh Laurie, Josh, Josh Gad, Zach Woods is in it. Um, yeah, a bunch of familiar faces. And my God, <laughs> to see this is a show. It's it is so lifeless. It is yeah. so like. Yeah, it's, so, so we should say like Armando Nietzsche, right? He's the creator of yeah. the thick of it, of Veep. These are uh, uh, all timer shows, mm -hmm. like so, some of my favorite episodes yeah. slash Mile television jokes. of all time. Yeah, mile minute jokes. And, those, those shows can't stop being funny, right? You it, you often struggle to keep up with the pace of the humor in those shows. And in this, this show, this show also yeah. is on HBO. Yes, and yes. it has yep. clearly a monster budget. Yeah, yeah. Because it is it is a very expensive looking show. I couldn't make it through the whole first episode. For it sure. is it is rough. I I thought okay maybe the first episode is, is an anomaly or something. No, the second episode is the same. The third episode is the same. It is a show where people constantly like throw out jokes, and it doesn't even seem like the the actors like what they're saying like there's no there's no like patter in the room like there's no response from the other actors like it's just a show of constantly dead jokes being being spouted and then we move on to the next scene and then it's also kind of bleak and dark at the same time too like it is i i don't know what to make of this thing i couldn't even jeff, tell you yeah, what why couldn't about. you finish it jeff what's um what's uh, everything that devendra said it just felt I, I mean 10 minutes in i turned to my wife and i was like <laughs> I can't even tell you what this is. Is this bad? I, I don't even know yeah. what I'm watching. Like, who are these people? And what, what even, what is this show trying to tell me? Like, we, we, it, it feels like we pick up in the middle of season four, and the show is like, oh, don't worry, you, you like these people because you like these actors. We don't need to tell you anything about them for you to like them and be on board because you like these actors already. And I'm like, I don't. I don't know anything about these people and the jokes are not landing and it i don't know the whole thing was bizarre it looked expensive and i was like to what end but yeah i didn't give it much of a chance at all i just was like on to the next yeah we're in the golden age of television boys i, I ain't got time i ain't got time for that you yeah. know what i'm saying yeah abandoned ship yeah abandoned ship it, it feels like 
HBO just gave gave Ianucci kind of a blank check to make whatever he wanted, and maybe there wasn't as much oversight as some other shows. Like, I I, I don't know what went wrong, but it feels I hear it gets better after the first couple episodes, or I hear like you start to figure out what it is. But I I just kind of don't care anymore. Um, so that's Avenue Five on HBO. I'm sorry that it's not good. I, it, you know, it's certainly looking. Tre- There's so much talent behind it, right? Yeah. Yes. But uh, how do you make Hugh Laurie not funny? How do you do that? I don't know, man. They did yeah. it. They did it. Devinder, what else? And Josh Gad, dreadfully <laughs> Josh unfunny. Gad. I feel He's... like Josh Gad can be hit or miss, but uh, you know what? What's his face from Silicon Valley? Like the, the show does nobody any favors. Zach Woods, like yeah, it's just. Everyone is just out there to die in every single scene, basically. Yeah, that that show, I can't remember the name of it now, but that show that Josh Gad did with Billy Crystal, such an underappreciated gem of a show. Oh. Uh, did you guys ever watch that? I can't remember. I don't what even it was know called. what you're talking about. It was like about. The Comedians or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was called like The Comedians. And it, it, it was about Josh Gad and Billy Crystal making a show together. I yeah, mean, that, the premise it, of the show was these two actors making the show together, and they played Josh Gad as if he was a terrible person uh it is very funny i mean it was it was sort of a like curb your enthusiasm style where you know yeah. people are playing themselves uh, uh very 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 funny it was great but it, was, it, it lasted for one season on fx i think yeah but yeah, i think okay. it had i think it had more than one season but no nope, i'm pretty uh, sure it's one season um so yeah, it was great yeah I've, I've heard good things it just is like it was one of the casualties of uh of fx unfortunately yeah. so devendra uh what else have you been watching um, so let's, let's, yeah, I feel like this has been a roller coaster of emotion. All the stuff I've seen, <laughs> I've seen some early episodes of uh, mythic quest Raven's banquet, the new Apple TV plus series from the, uh, it's always sunny folks. And, uh, happy to say this show rules. So back, back it's in a TV good show comedy. about video games, it's which a, yeah, it's about it can't video be games. good. Can't be yeah. good. It's about a game studio. Um, I, I think it's set in Canada or just like a nameless city where, you know, game devs are. But uh, yeah, it stars uh, Rob McKelney uh, as this like visionary creative director for a game studio. And it's sort of like it just like turns it into, I don't know, something like HBO Silicon Valley, where they're dealing with like, you know, basic day to day things of like, oh, I, I want to program, uh, you know, what do I do? What do we do for this expansion for this game? And they fight over particular features. Uh, the first episode is about a shovel. And what what can a shovel do in a in a very violent game? And maybe somebody wants it to be a more constructive tool for for people to do like Minecraft type stuff. And maybe somebody else just wants, you know, to smash people in the head with it. And it's those sorts of debates. Um, it is really funny, has a great cast. Um, I was never a big fan of It's Always Sunny. Like to me, it just felt like uh, it's a very chaotic show. And I just like that energy just never really vibed with me. Like I just, I could never really stand it for too long. Uh, it, it's sort of like the Curb Your Enthusiasm thing for me too. Like I can take half an hour of these shows, maybe once per week. And I guess that was fine for how they were being released, but it's really hard to catch up in a show like that. Uh, this is really funny. Um, also has Danny Pudi in it. He is, it's great to see Danny Pudi in something regular again after Community. This show has F. Murray Abraham in it <laughs> as a, as a sort of like 70s sci-fi writer who's now like doing, uh, you know, highfalutin game stories. And he is just, man, this guy, this guy's an Oscar winner, right? Like this guy is just like straight up silly 
in the show. And I think that's really fun, too. And uh, a lot of people you recognize, like Ashley Birch is in it, too. And she's been, you know, she's been doing game videos and game stuff for a while and voiceovers. Um, I, I think this is a show that really understands the video game culture as it is now. Um, w- during the first episode, they spend a lot of time trying to um, impress a streamer. I'm trying to look up his name. What is his name? His name is Pootie Shoe. And he, he looks like he's, he's just like, it's really funny to see a very large corporation or at least, a, you know, a company with a lot of money behind it, basically hoping and praying that a 14 year old game streamer <laughs> loves their expansion because it really, this is all your business rests on. It's like what this 14 year old thinks. And it is, it's hilarious, but it's also, man, is this, this is just kind of true. Right, this is the world right now in games. It is is kind of kind of weird out there. Anyway, I'm really digging it. It is premiering this Friday on Apple TV Plus. Definitely worth checking it out. That's Mythic Quest. Uh, Jeff and I look forward to seeing it, and we will uh, talk more about it in depth on next week's or a uh, couple weeks episode uh, from now of mm-hmm. the podcast. Uh, one quick question before we move on, Devendra, which is like uh, Silicon Valley at its best. I felt like was a uh, very incisive skewering of silk, like uh, the actual culture of s- the real life Silicon Valley, mm-hmm. and I was a little bit wondering, like, how well this game, this uh, game show, Mythic Quest, does that for the games industry. Considering I believe Activision is a co-executive producer on the show, so I felt like, yeah. uh, you know, could they really make fun of that much stuff? Could, given that it's made by one of the biggest, you know, one of the biggest game makers in. Uh, the world right now is, is yeah. sort of contributing need, to it creatively. I need to look a bit deeper into it. Like I definitely noticed like scenes that look like they're from Assassin's Creed or something. So I figured there was some sort of relationship. Um, you know, I feel like this is a show that is making fun of like the sexism issues, like in a, in a way that's meaningful, like the, you know, the macho male creative director just can't accept that his, um, one of his female writers or programmers just has a better idea than he does. Like it does things like that. I don't know how much more incisive it can be. I've only seen like two episodes so far, but I'm um, I'm hoping I'm hoping it does something interesting. Like it's funny. And I think just making people think about these issues is an important thing too. All right, that's Mythic Quest. It's out on Apple TV Plus uh, this Friday. Before we move on, why don't we thank our first sponsor for today and our only sponsor for today, Feels? Divin, you want to tell people about Feels? Sure. Well, here's the thing. I love. CBD, because it's been a thing that's helped me deal with stress and anxiety and feels in particular, I think, is great quality CBD just because there's a lot of bad stuff out there. In New York, you can go to a bodega and buy CBD infused uh, cookies and candies and all sorts of things, but you never know how good it is. Um, Feels is high quality CBD that's delivered right to your doorstep, so you don't even have to leave home for it. Uh, It helps to naturally reduce stress, anxiety, pain and sleeplessness um for me i've really enjoyed taking it before flights it's become my pretty much my flight ritual and it is astounding like i'll take a nice dose of feels um before i fly to taiwan uh, for computex every year that is a 16-hour flight and that is a stressful situation but at least it's direct so i take my feels Uh, i just chill out i go through security i you know wait for the plane like the entire flight is just a really nice chill zen moment for me instead of being like a stressful situation so feels i really appreciate because it's super easy to take uh you just place a few drops under your tongue let it sit there for a bit and uh it's kind of like instantly de-anxiety making i don't know if there's a word for that um they also offer a support hotline and text messaging support to help you figure out what dosage you want um 
I think it's interesting that's pretty natural too. So you don't have to deal with a hangover or addiction or any high or anything like that. It's just like it is a nice thing that lowers your level of anxiety. So you can join the Feels community to get Feels delivered to your door every month. You'll save money on every order and you can pause or cancel at any time. At this point, we should say representations regarding the efficacy and safety of Feels have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. The FDA only evaluates food and drugs, not supplements like Feels. It's not intended to diagnose, prevent, treat, or cure any disease. And if you have any questions about this stuff, as always, talk to your doctor. But for me personally, Feels has me feeling my best every day, and it can help you too. Become a member today by going to feels.com slash filmcast, and that is the slash character, and you'll get 50% off of your first order with free shipping. That's F-E-A-L-S dot com slash filmcast to become a member and get 50% off automatically taken off your first order with free shipping. Feels.com slash filmcast. All right, let's move on to what else we've been watching this week. I had a chance to check out Anna. Have you guys heard of this movie, Anna, directed by Luc Besson? Luke came out, Besson. Luc Besson. It came out in 2019. I'll just. Are, are you are you telling me Luc Besson made a female assassin movie, Dave? <laughs> I am. Oh, this you is that... the one where the female assassin realizes that she's only using two percent of her brain. <laughs> no, that's Lucy. Uh, uh, so... Is this the well, one the... where the female assassin realizes that <laughs> love is the fifth element? <laughs> I'm going to read the plot summary. <laughs> Beneath a woman's striking beauty lies a secret that will unleash her indelible strength and skill to become one of the most feared assassins on the planet. Now, I had seen a trailer for this movie, uh, you know, a, a year ago, actually, like when this first mm-hmm. came out. And I'd actually pitched it as something we should review on the podcast, and it was shot down. We never actually reviewed it. But uh, it recently went, like, the rental for Anna went on sale for $1. And I'm like, okay, I'll throw a dollar <laughs> behind this. Here's a trash movie before you see another <laughs> trashy spy movie. Sure. <laughs> and then and then it's like, I started getting these warnings from iTunes, like, hey, your $1 <laughs> rental of Anna will expire in 36 hours. You know, I'm like, oh, I got I to gotta get to it, I guess. And so I watched it, and uh, you know this movie got a thirty six percent on Rotten Tomatoes, and it is in fact not very good. However, <laughs> however, uh, there are a couple of pretty solid action scenes in it. There's one action scene in this movie that I would say is like John Wick level in terms of mm-hmm. how well it's done, uh, and. One day, probably even right now, you'll be able to see that scene on YouTube or something, so you don't really need to watch the movie. Um, but there's nothing really new that this movie brings to the table from a plot perspective. It's The, the plot is completely ludicrous in terms of how they, like, they, they just pull this woman off the street... Uh, and train her to be like the world's best assassin, and yeah. it's Alif really, Nikita, if you will, yeah, it's really like the like the anti rhythm section, which we'll get to in a little bit. Uh, <laughs> and I think it's kind of funny, like as a cultural artifact in that regard. And it just is straight out of the '90s, like in it's terms just, of man. the sen- the sensibility. Uh, there's like these really cheesy sex scenes in the movie and it's just like, this is something you could watch like on TNT or the USA network in the nineties, basically. Um, and it's, it's too bad because I, I don't know. I feel like these female led spy movies have just not done very well, uh, yeah. at the box like office. Atomic Blonde was excellent, but did not. It was excellent, but it did, it was considered like not, it, I mean, it probably did okay from box office perspective, but it was not a hit. 
And that's really that, that's probably the best one out of the three that we've mentioned. You know, between Rhythm Section mm-hmm. Anna and Atomic Blonde, I would say Atomic Blonde is the best film. And also even Black that Widow movie coming up, coming up uh, of of the what's coming up, Devendra? Black Widow. Black Widow. Oh, Black Widow. Yeah, 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 yeah. If you're looking for one of these ones to do well, I uh-huh. think we just mentioned the one that will. Yeah. Let's not forget about what was the. <laughs> There's another one last year, Red Sparrow. Red Sparrow. Yeah. Red yeah. Sparrow, we reviewed it. Yeah. 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 So um, a lot of these movies are pretty bad, but also they don't do very well, you know, and that's that's a shame because uh, it feels like they're all kind of taking a different slice of the same sure. situation, you know. Red Sparrow, I would say, is almost like a psychological thriller. In terms of how it was was uh, the story was told, and yeah. then Anna is just over the top cheesy '90s action movie, and and I actually like I have to say I did kind of enjoy it on on some level because there's a few moments where this is a thing that happens repeatedly throughout the movie where you know like Anna will bust into a place and then kill someone, <laughs> and then like. Later on, you find out she didn't actually kill that person, and it'll be like you'll see a card oh on the screen that says like six weeks ago, and then you'll find out like everything that happened that like led up to that moment and why she didn't end up killing that person. And that let, happens. Let me ask you, Dave: Did you like this more than Rhythm Section? Uh, like is a strong word. It's Probably. so it's okay. so different. It's so different. Uh, I will certainly say the action is better than the rhythm section. You know, there's, mm. but there, it, really, the action is just that one scene that I told you about. Is there's there's this one scene that happens in a <laughs> restaurant that is really yeah. really impressive. It's also the trailer too for this movie. It's so, yeah, it's also it's the trailer. But the action is better than the rhythm section because it has action. <laughs> basically, you could, yeah, you could say that. You could say that. I think that uh, it, it, it's a shame because I feel like there's not that much separating a movie like Anna or the rhythm section from John Wick except yeah. for the action. Because I think the plot of John Wick is absolutely ridiculous. Makes no sense, right? And it, upon, it like falls apart under the simplest of scrutiny. Mm-hmm. But the action is so good in that, that series of films that it doesn't matter. Also, it doesn't matter. It's how you put the pieces together, too. Like, it's about the leads. It's about the supporting characters. It's about the world building. Yeah. We'll talk all about all of this in a, in a rhythm section. For yeah, sure. but I feel like Atomic Blonde had a lot of those things, too, and it, it didn't do very well. In any case, Anna was a box hey. office failure. Uh, but, uh, you know, there was, it's, it kind of is so cheesy that I'm kind of like, yeah, if, if you are looking for kind of cheesy 90s action movie and mm-hmm. you're looking for like these extremely outlandish twists like three weeks ago, you know, cut to three weeks ago and, you know, actually so-and-so knew about the killing all along, you know, all that stuff. It's I'm like, all right, that, that's kind of fun. I had a little bit of fun with it. So, I'll watch this on Netflix probably. Yeah, yeah if yeah. and when it hits a, a streaming service. I'd say you know it's worth checking out, and and it's just so it's it's, it's really silly. It's really silly. So uh, the movie's Anna. It's available right now on video on demand. Also had a chance to check out Cheer, the new Netflix documentary series about competitive cheerleading. Uh, have you guys heard of this series? It's it's all uh, the the buzz. nobody will shut up about this series, Dave. <laughs> Love it, Jeff. You know it's interesting. As I was watching the show. I was thinking of you describing your uh, dilemma or your uh, predicament with, you know, sitting down at the end of a long day with your wife and trying to figure out something to watch. And I was like, you know, this is probably something that would be good for Jeff and his wife to watch. Uh, I've gotten this show has been recommended to me so many times. Is there a reason you have resisted the recommendation? I just don't like reality TV very much. And I know that there are great reality TVs. Huh? 
reality TV. You think this is reality TV? I don't yes. consider. I yes. consider it a documentary series. Sure. Yeah, you guys okay. love documentaries. Come on. I, yeah. I I I, I feel like potatoes. reality TV is almost like pejorative for this. It is pejorative. What? Well, <laughs> why do you why do you think pejorative. this is reality TV? Why why is this reality TV and like I don't know Icarus okay. isn't reality? Having TV. not seen the show, are you about to tell me about all of the personal? Uh, drama and who who's going to make it and who's not going to make it and oh will they get to the end and and will the will the final uh, the the final um, competition go in their favor or not? Sure, sounds like reality TV to me, sir. Yeah, I guess I'm but being isn't, cynical. Isn't that but... also a documentary? You know, like I don't I don't understand. Yeah, it sounds like Jeff needs some cheer in his life. I do I'm need like, some. I cheer. think you need some cheer yeah. in your life, and also like I'm I'm honestly I'm like. I'm staggered by I'm shook by what you've just said because I'm like uh, I I didn't even think like I, it feels like I need to like surmount a bunch of stuff just to just to get you on the same page that this might be something good. Uh, I, oh, I I'm sure it's great. I'm sure it's great. I'm sure if I watch it, I'll be hugely invested in in these uh, these kids doing awesome stuff. I just I don't know. I have a uh, stumbling block for the for the reality TVification of everything. And, you know, it just it, it's not it's not what I want to turn on, turn on when I sit down at night. I, I, I don't get what about it is what you don't want to turn like that's <laughs> what what about let's let's say I concede your point, which I'm not that this is reality TV. I'm not conceding that, but let's say I do. What about reality TV do you find so off-putting? They tend to. Uh, use the interpersonal relationships of of those people to create drama, mm-hmm. and for real people. Uh-huh. And I, I I know I have many many friends who are <laughs> very involved in the creation of reality television here in Los Angeles, and I know how the sausage is made. And uh, it is not I, again. You say this is a documentary series, so be it. Uh, but <laughs> so be uh, I mean, I don't trust you at all, David. <laughs> well, but I, so be is basically. But if circle. that's what you say, yeah. then maybe that's correct. <laughs> I, I have no doubt that this is a documentary about, and I've watched many documentaries. I love documentaries about real things. I love. I'm getting invested. I've, t- I've talked at length about them. I'm digging my own hole here, and I'm going to get a lot of hate mail because <laughs> you're putting me on the spot. But the the idea of watching a bunch of kids in a school try to win their cheerleading championship and the interpersonal drama that happens along the way is a little too close to reality TV for my, for me to get excited about it. And I'm sure I'm going to be wrong. I'm going to get lots of hate mail about this. I know it, but, uh, I, I, I know, I know how reality TV is made and it just, anything that's smitten, sniffs like it to me mm-hmm. it just is like i don't really okay okay play yeah. that game i can i i can respect that jeff I, I i mean i think you're wrong but i i i can respect that it's like a coherent viewpoint that you have which is that reality tv often uh sensationalizes slash exaggerates slash completely fabricates conflict <laughs> between characters and serves it up to the for the detriment like, of human beings right to the detriment, to the detriment of, human of human beings yeah. and and you're gonna tell me that this show doesn't do that and and is much more like a documentary and that's fine and i'm sure it's great and i've been tempted to watch it just because of how many people have told me it's great but man does it just not seem like something i want to 
touch okay. with a ten foot pole. I all right. So now now that we've gone through that, I can tell you what I actually think of the show, which is that <laughs> I so I've seen. Hey, evolution. you asked me, man. No, no, I yeah, didn't yeah, no, no, my no, no, no. I wasn't. That wasn't a slam on you. I was just saying like. Not, You're not like, the one that's going to get all the hate mail, bro. I'm I'm glad. No, I'm glad you told me that so I can structure what I'm about to say in order that it may have maximum impact on you, hopefully. Um, but I'll say, first of all, I've only seen one episode. Uh, so it just comes from one episode, and I might not know the full extent of things. I, I think there's I, only six, right? No, it's very short. Yeah, there's only six episodes, and they're about one hour each. So it is it is an investment of time. It's a little bit of investment. Uh, I, I would say that I recognize nothing in what you described of reality TV in this show. Like I don't, <laughs> I don't think what you described resembles the show at, at all. Uh, I mean, may, maybe a little bit in the sense that they're both kind of they, they both have the same bones as each other. Like they they both consist of um, a, a competition and interviews with people. You know, that's that that is true. But I do think uh, the way the movie is shot, the way the series, I should say, Cheer, is shot, um, the way it's structured, just literally just the look of it, 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 it would be like calling like, um, did you ever see uh, Chef's Table on Netflix, Jeff? Uh, I think I watched an episode or two of Chef's Table, yeah. Yeah, so it would be like calling that reality TV. You know, like I, I would j- just like, wow, that's just like a fundamentally like misapplied <laughs> label, in my opinion, if you called <laughs> Chef's Table reality TV. Like... Uh, and, and I think because when you watch a show like Chef's Table, the thing that you get from Chef's Table is an appreciation of the art of what these people are doing, right? Like that's that is the the driving motivation behind yeah. why those documentaries are made. And, and to, th- to be honest, you can even get that from something like The Great British Breakoff, which is straight up a reality show. True, true. And I can understand, but I can also understand Jeff's disdain yeah. for something like that. Uh, but. In in the case of Cheer, I think this is like this is one of the things I love of like introducing a wide audience to a subculture. Uh, I actually directed a short film a while ago called Doctor B about you know yo yo competition. That like you know I I love introducing people to subcultures. I love it when people introduce me to subcultures. And this uh, series Cheer on Netflix gives you an appreciation of what it is these people are doing. It's it's way more diff- orders of magnitude more difficult. Than what you see on the sidelines of a of a football game, you know it's yeah. it's intense, it's body breaking what they do, the pain they go through, but also the benefits that it gives them from in terms of like like organizing them socially, in terms of giving them something to focus on. Uh, that it, like many people are saying, like that this cheerleading saved their lives because otherwise they would have ended up on the street, and it's all very powerful stuff. So. I reject the label of reality TV as describing cheer. I think this is something you and your wife would very much enjoy, and I think you'll be deeply moved by it by the end. It's, Maybe it's, that last part we, is a prediction because I haven't seen the whole show, but from everything yeah. I've seen, that's what's going to happen. So I'll, I'll be checking it out in in you know over the next week too. Like maybe we can talk about it coming up. How is this how is sounds my like a show I would cheer? love, Dave? How, how's I gotta my watch this. Cheer? Yeah. I gotta watch it. I gotta watch this show, man. This is a good show. I'll say no, you- I, 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 I think I was too full throated in my. No, it's cool. Opposition. It's cool. It's cool. You, you do the full throat, and then I'm coming back at you. I'm coming back at a with no, you it's at, great. with a haymaker. You know that's what it is. I, and uh, if you watch the first I, couple, I got episodes, some reality <laughs> programming right here. I got the man, sense. I, I don't. I don't know where I got it. Maybe I misread something or misheard someone. I, I've been. The show has been talked about a lot around me and yeah. near me. 
Uh, and I, somehow I got the sense that there was an element of is Chad going to fall for Jenny and is Jenny going to like Chad? I, I'm making those names up, but there was some sense of there being like, uh, that element to it, which I could be completely wrong. And I, I was under the misapprehension of, um, but I had somehow gotten this, this thing in my head that it was like, well, I can't promise uh, that high that school uh, yeah. drama, you know, instead of really being about, you know, like your yo-yo short. I can't promise that that won't happen in the show. But here's what I will say is that I feel like the aesthetics of the of the show are very different than a normal reality show. Like it's sh- I mean, just in terms of how it's lit, the look of it, it looks it has a very filmic look to it. You know, a lot of reality television, I feel like looks kind of cheap. Um, and it's shot at either 30 frames or 60 frames a second. It, it's very like, it looks like a video, you know what I mean? Whereas yeah. this show, uh, I feel like is very, uh, filmic in terms of how, how it looks and the way that this show captures, you know, just like, uh, <laughs> chef's table is like slow motion of, uh, cooking the ribeye steak on the, you know, cast iron grill. That's a, a hundred years old or whatever. Uh, this show <laughs> applies that kind of same eye to what these incredibly talented people are doing with their bodies and uh it's breathtaking so i, I even well, there's just... certainly nothing nothing about the cheerleading that turned me off i i do recognize yeah, yeah. how incredibly athletic and uh amazing that sport i guess is the word to use is uh because i've been around it i mean it, the um my sister was a competitive cheerleader for for a long time and also uh i when i was doing the texas shakespeare festival we were housed near sort of world class competitors in that area and i saw it up close so i don't i don't mean to uh belittle that in any stretch of the imagination i just yeah. find a lot of that you know real world uh competition stuff to be so exploitive and off-putting that's that's really all i was saying uh, it makes it makes a lot of i think your viewpoint is like very defensible yeah. you know yeah. like i don't i don't have any be- i'm just like I, I, I totally understand that you're against those things is this thing the the actual like it does this thing actually match the thing you're against is my question and right. i don't think we'll actually know that until you give it a shot so maybe but uh jeff, jeff check it I out have for a an show for you it's called The Circle. I hear it's great. Just <laughs> give it a shot. Have you heard of the show The Circle, this reality show on Netflix? This that is what I would. It is everything you hate. Yeah. It is everything you hate. Yeah. I'm sure. I, I saw that on the old uh, the old Netflix menu, but I didn't hover long enough. Usually, I do a lot of my watching of the uh, 30 second uh, auto roll on, on Netflix. You know, I, I, get, I get the gist. All right. Uh, well, that's Cheer. It's on Netflix. I am going to go the distance with this show. I'm going to watch every episode. So um, maybe we'll be able to talk about it next week. Uh, all right, that's what I've been watching, Anna and Cheer. How about you, Jeff? What have you been watching? Well, a uh, friend of the show, Dan Trachtenberg, sent me a text the other day saying I had to check out Dracula on Netflix. Now, Dracula isn't necessarily an IP that's going to get me to leap out of my chair and, and <laughs> tune in. Uh, so it's not something that I even lingered over very much. I kind of saw a new Dracula show on Netflix, but didn't even really pay attention much to it. Not realizing that this Dracula show is Mark Gaddis and Stephen Moffat. Yeah. Uh, and once I found that out, I was very excited. And a- I- AKA the creators that. of the third best Sherlock of uh, the last 10 years. Right? <laughs> <laughs> the creators of that Sherlock. I have to say, though, Jeff, um, uh, I, I did talk about the show and the fact that it was from the Sherlock creators. Uh, you did? 
Yeah, yeah. I, I, I like to see what has more power, a text from Dan Trachtenberg or a conversation on this very show. <laughs> I mean, I don't think you want to know the answer to that. <laughs> Uh, I don't remember you mentioning this. Yeah, I don't um, see. I don't see it on the. What we've been watching. It's was not it? on the list, but I did mention it. Oh, okay, uh, as okay. we were talking about that. Gotcha. All right. Um, did you watch it, Devendra? I watched the. I watched. It's three episodes, right? And they're all like movie length. Uh, yes. I watched two of it. Um, I'm gonna have a hard time watching the third one because really? the second one is not good. Oh, did you get to the end of the second one? Yeah, you it did. Is. It it is sort of like to me. It feels like what they did with Sherlock when like, oh man, there was some good stuff. They, they can have a lot of fun sometimes, and then there's some just bad episodes, just like straight up bad. So I don't know. It feels oh, a little hit or miss. I could not disagree with you more. Uh, <laughs> I, I this show is awesome. So back when we were doing the Totally Rad show, uh, actually my first Stephen Moffat anything was a show called Jekyll, uh, or as the show called it, Jekyll. Uh, which that was good. Yeah. Really good. So if anybody listening hasn't seen Jekyll, I don't even know how you find it. I don't, it's, it's gotta be streaming somewhere, but man, an awesome thing. And, uh, you know, I love Sherlock and I never really got into Dr. Who, but I, we were talking last week about Picard and how, uh, we were all kind of pining for a kind of Star Trek that was, intellectual and uh, cerebral and the chess match of, of mat, you know, matching wits against an enemy rather than punching them in the face. Nobody does that better than Mark Gaddis and Stephen Moffat. That's their bread and butter. And they have done that with Dracula. They have taken Dracula and turned it into a verbal matching of wits between Dracula and this nun character that you meet in the first episode. But where it goes from there is just awesome. And the, the thing that they, that they do so well is they take these rules that we all know from the lore of Dracula and they start picking them apart and poking at them and stretching them and figuring out like, what would that, what are the ramifications of that? And coming up with really interesting sequences that are built on the backbone of that lore that we know so well. And then the, the actors in the show, uh, I don't even know how to pronounce the uh, Danish actor who plays Dracula, uh, Clay's Bang, I, I think maybe is his name, uh, and Dolly Wells are the two leads. They are both delicious. They're just chewing scenery, saying these wonderful words, Pairing off, I mean, this is Picard versus Q. It, it is, the ideas are the center stage. The ideas that they throw at each other. The concept of their battle. It's, it's, it is, uh, you know, not action-packed. It is thrilling because of how they're anticipating the other one. Using things against them. Outthinking, analyzing. So good. And then... The end of episode two is like, what? What? Wow. Episode three gets a little goofy, but it kind of all in a very, very good way. These do feel like three films that are just linked, uh, but they are three very independent films about Dracula. Each of them really cool and different in their own way. 
but man, I don't know. There, there are, there are some twists and turns that I found to be so fun, so unexpected, so cool. Um, I loved episode two. Uh, episode two is like, it is like a bottle episode in the best possible way. And then episode three just goes bonkers, man. It is, um, this is really fun, interesting television. I haven't heard anybody talking about Dracula. And I think it's like, you go, Dracula, what a boring IP. This takes it and makes it not boring at all. To me, it is, uh, fresh and modern and fun. The, the portrayal of Dracula is great because he's, he's wry, he's charming. He's not, you know, he's not a cartoon character. He, it, it is, it is British intelligent. Uh, it's, it's, it's Sherlock Holmes and Moriarty, but sucking your blood. Uh, it's, it's so good, man. It's so good. So good. They're the Sherlock Holmes and Moriarty of sucking your blood is what's yeah. happening. All right. <laughs> Dave, you gotta watch this, man. Okay, you got. I will check, check out, out. I will check out at least an episode of Dracula. I think if you'll you have check feelings out, about it. Yeah. If you check out an episode of Cheer, how about I that? will do that. I All will right. do that. And and I will say this. I want to say this also. One of the things that I'm so excited about with the show is that it's three episodes, <laughs> and I feel like we are in you know we are in the golden age of television. And I tune in. I know that each episode is an hour and a half. So it's basically like yeah, watching it's three, three double movies. Episodes, man. It's yeah. three movies. But the fact that there's only three ep- and and each of these could have been two or three episodes. I mean, there's enough that happens in each of them. Um, but the fact that they weren't, the fact that it's three episodes, I go, yeah, I'll watch a show that's only three episodes because I'm in. And I kind of feel like as television is getting so much better and better and, you know, the British seasons for or, or or series as they're called have always been much shorter i mean sherlock was like three episodes as well but i love the idea of of you know we talked about cheer being six episodes a lot of these shows are you know we're like 12 and then 10 and then eight now we're six now we're three i feel like we can have a season of tv that's one episode and it'd be like isn't that a movie no it's golden age of television and i'm into it uh just have a single season episode and it's amazing. Uh, I don't need 12 episodes anymore. I, I used to say I don't need 24 episodes. Now I don't need 12. Give me three. You don't three even need five. Episodes. You don't even need five. Yeah, anymore. that's right. Yeah, just three. It is, it is crazy, by the way. TV shows used to have to do 24 episodes, <laughs> especially for like the one hour ones. Like that is what killed Lost, by the way. Like it is just yes. hard to keep a narrative up for that long. Yeah. All right. Well, that's Dracula. It's on Netflix right now. Uh, I'll check out an episode. We'll come back next week. On that note, uh, starting next week, I just want to reiterate something that I mentioned on last week's episode of the podcast. We are going to be changing up the format of the podcast. Uh, starting next week, we're going to actually be splitting our main review and our uh, what we've been watching into two separate episodes. Uh, and so next week, there will be just a review, and the week after is going to be the what we've been watching. Uh, and we may, you know, sw- like reverse that order the following weeks. Who knows? It really depends on what is going to be the movie that's coming out. Uh, and we are going to be interested in people's feedback. There's many ways to share feedback. You can tweet at us. You can email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Uh, and of course, you can comment in the Slack Filmcast at slackfilmcast.com as well. 
And we'll be keeping an eye out on uh, what the feedback is. Uh, we'll, we'll be eager to know how people think uh, it's working. And, of course, we'll have our own thoughts about how it's working. But just want to mention it again so people are not alarmed when they see a review-only episode followed by what we've been watching. I will say one thing, though, which is that uh, there is concern about, like, oh, what if, uh, what if a big movie comes out on one of the off weeks, you know? And it's like, well, I think, gentlemen, that we would figure out a way to pull it together to review – uh, a mm-hmm. big movie on one of the off weeks. Uh, I th- there's only like maybe two to three movies a year that I feel would fall into that category, though. You know, like um, uh, the, the like Tenet, Christopher Nolan's movie. Like if that came on an off week, we'd probably figure out a way to review that. You know, on that week. But otherwise, there's very few movies that I feel like people must know our thoughts immediately. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? What do you guys yeah. think? Yeah, I, I think you're right. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. People have always had to wait a few days after the movies come out anyway to hear our thoughts. You know, we usually, that's one of the key things of the podcast is we release on uh, a few days after the movie comes out. And the way I figure it, like, you'll just have a few extra days on top of that now um, to watch the movie before you listen to a review. So. In any case, uh, we want to thank all the people who donated to the show who make it possible. Thanks to subscribers, Tobias Obak, Iker Maruri, William Fisher, Eric Highgraph, and Matt Headkey for subscribing at the rate of $2 per month. If you want to do that, go to SlashFilm.com, click on the SlashFilmCast tab, and use the PayPal links on the side of the page. Also, thanks for people who made one-time donations. I'm thinking of Stephen Theseus. I'm sorry, Stephen Theus, Eric from California, who writes, I can't tell you how many times I've been impressed by Jeff's witty rhymes. They They deserve compensation. My humble donation, literally tens of dozens of dimes. That's well done. Indeed. Well done. Thanks tens also, of dozens of dimes. Tens of dozens of dimes. It. Thanks also to Derek Crudell, Richard Polish, Matthew M. from Richard, Virginia, and Ryan, who writes in, quote, I have learned through years of listening to the Slash Homecast that trying to get Dave to watch Firefly is an exercise in futility. However, I believe there's still hope. I have turned many... Listen, has- it's been... Nearly 20 years at this point, right? <laughs> Firefly was like oh my 2001, God. 2002. Yeah, it's been a while. Jesus. Dave's Dave's <laughs> resistance to, to yeah. Firefly, his denial of watching Firefly can almost buy alcohol. <laughs> um, however, I believe there's still hope. I've turned many a hesitant friend onto the show by showing them the movie Serenity. No, not the cinematic dumpster fire starring Matthew McConaughey and Anne Hathaway from 2019. How dare you, by the way. But the 2005 sci-fi masterclass that launched Joss Whedon's big screen career and provided some much-needed closure for fans of the prematurely canceled TV show. My donation is in the exact amount of the cost of a 4K Blu-ray of Serenity on Amazon. Perhaps this can shame Dave into dipping his toe into the shiny waters of the Firefly universe and talking about it on a future What We've Been Watching episode. So here's my question for you, Devendra. You've already tried to shame me by buying me the Firefly Complete Series on Blu-ray. Yes. Uh, But can your home? It's on Netflix, I think. Like, it's easily accessible. Can someone watch just Serenity without watching Firefly? And, like, could that be, like, a gateway drug into the Fireflies? I mean, that's it's completely backwards. No. Like, it doesn't... I've heard heard people do this. Don't do it, yeah. So, sure, but it's also... It's a very confusing movie, and if you don't even know who these people are, like yeah. it, it just it would be like watching Rise of the Skywalker and trying to keep track of everything going on. It's not a good plan, um, you know. I, I hope you check it out at some point, Dave. But I might. I mean, that's what I'm saying is I might. I can probably invest, you know, a 90 minute movie 
It's a waste of time. It's like burning (laughs) that time because it's like you won't you won't get anything out of it. So I don't know. All right, all right. Well, um, I'll still try to honor uh, Ryan's request, and maybe I'll I'll buy that 4K Blu-ray. Buy the thing. Watch the Blu-rays I sent you over ten years ago, probably at this point. So (laughs) yeah, it's just it's embarrassing now. So I'm just gonna keep this going. The one the one thing no one anticipated. Dave Chen has no shame. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Bo Pullman from Lincoln, Nebraska donated and, and sent the following message. Hello, David, Devinger, and Jeff. If you recall the 1917 episode of your, of your podcast, Jared from Omaha left a donation with a message announcing his year-end movie forum at the local Alamo Drafthouse. As I type this, I've just returned home from that event. And what an awesome time we had. Most attendees like me came completely alone, but hosts Jared and Ryan were so kind and welcoming to all of us. Along with answering trivia questions and winning prizes, we discussed 10 topics about 2019 releases, overlooked movies, guilty pleasures, and our biggest surprises, to name a few. We passed the microphone around for over three hours, and by the end of the night, we were making plans for meeting up again soon. Nothing quite matches the elation of finding others who share a passion in common. I'm grateful for you guys putting out Jared's message for us to hear, and for Jared and Ryan for being great hosts and new friends. If you're in the Omaha Lincoln area, send a message to the post credit scene, which is on facebook.com slash the post credit scene to join them when they meet up next. I've been a listener for years. Thanks for what you guys do. The Nebraska franchise of slash from cast listeners has been born. We're like fight club all up in here, guys. Dude, building... that's amazing. Yeah. So good. first of all, I want to say the post credit scene is such a great name for a, an association of people, right? Yeah, it's, it's a cool, great. Cool, like that's that starts our scene is our post the post credit scene. That's so good, mm. so good. Mm. And secondly, I want to say, this is what happens when we don't do anything. People do it. People do it. We should have been doing this for years. We should have been going around the country, having live events, doing stuff. And we you know better better people than we are doing it on their own. And kudos to them. Indeed, indeed. Well, I, you know, that's one way of interpreting it, Jeff. Another way of interpreting it is, hey, uh, we're like Tyler Durden all up in here. We have like a, a Decatur uh, franchise. We have a Nebraska franchise. We just got to keep setting this up. And, and pretty soon we're going to have franchises all around the country. And uh, Project Na- then Mayhem. Then we take will, down capitalism, baby. Yeah. Project yeah. Mayhem yeah. will be underway. So, all right. Um, we, should, we should note that... Uh, Devendra just sent to all of us the receipt for <laughs> I have Firefly, received. the complete series on Blu-ray, with a shipping address to David Chen. You probably don't even live there anymore. I don't live there anymore. Uh, ordered on December 31st, 2014. Yeah. 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 So There's a little note there, too. I believe it says <laughs> that was, you have no excuse now. That was the <laughs> same night they recorded Hamilton live, I think. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, anyway, uh, thanks for all your donations. If you want to send a one-time donation, paypal.me slash filmcast. That's paypal.me slash the word filmcast. Of course, if you want to support us by donating zero dollars, very easy to do that. Go to the Apple Podcast app, go to slash filmcast uh, podcast listing, and just leave a star rating. It literally takes less than 10 seconds to do. If you haven't done it yet, what are you waiting for? Uh, probably, I don't know, you're listening to this in your car and you're saying, hey, next time I stop my car, I'm going to do that thing that David's suggesting right now. Uh, I'm saying, you know, today, make that today that you do it. Pull over the car, take out the phone, rate the podcast on Apple Podcasts. It really does help a lot. Okay, let's move on to our review 
of the rhythm section. I lost my family three years ago. It wasn't an accident. There was a bomb on that plane. I need your help to find the ones who did this. I've got nothing to lose. What about your life? What about it? I'm going to say this once. Even if you succeed, it won't be worth it. Bombmaker is free. He's walking the streets. You promised me you won't do nothing silly. Here. Draw for your closure. And how would you do that? Violently. That was from the trailer of The Rhythm Section, the newest movie by director Reed Murano. It stars Blake Lively as a woman seeking revenge against those who orchestrated a plane crash that killed her family. Uh, we are in January, folks, which means that the movies that come out aren't that good in general. <laughs> however, however... Uh, this is a movie that's directed by uh, a extremely talented director. She used to be a cinematographer. She helped to create The Handmaid's Tale, the hit Hulu series. She, uh, oh man, she she did the cinematography for Frozen River. Yeah, didn't realize that. Yeah, super. Yeah. She was a cinematographer before she became a director. Very very talented. Blake Lively. Um, this woman can open films. I'm not. I say that completely in earnest. You, the Shallows. Uh, a simple favor, even Age of Adeline, all those movies did well. Uh, they weren't runaway success, like they didn't make half a billion dollars, but they all were very successful uh, given the budgets that they had. So uh, this is a, a, a movie that is not based on an existing franchise. It's based on a book, but it's not based on like a, a Marvel comic or anything like that. It seems like the kind of movie that we should all want to be coming out in theaters more. And yet... Mm. Absolutely no one showed up to go see this movie this weekend. I think it made less than $3 million, which is very, yeah. very bad. Uh, and so... It's a... It, yeah. it, on, I saw it on a Thursday night Yeah, uh, of opening... You know, they yeah. new movies you can watch on Thursday nights. And Thursday night of its opening weekend, <laughs> yeah. it was placed in a screen at my multiplex... That I didn't know existed. <laughs> yeah, it, same same with same with my place too. Like they, they gave it one of the, the smaller bathroom. one of the yeah. smaller yeah. screens, right? It was one where I, when I bought my ticket online, I looked at the seating and I was like, "Well, that can't be right. There's somehow there's some error in the HTML because this is all wonky and off center." And then I walked into that screening room and I was like, "Oh, that was accurate." It's That's one row of minivan seats. This, yeah. this is not how movie theaters are supposed to be made. Somehow they squeezed one last screen in here and they just, all the seats are just all off center. There's like the an way, aisle in the weird side. I don't understand it, but that's where they didn't, put. It, they it put. didn't just do badly, by the way. Like I'm looking at the numbers here. It is the worst opening ever for a film playing in over 3000 theaters. 2.8 million wow. yeah. ever. It's pretty rough. Pretty rough. So here's my question for you, Devinder Hardwar, is did the movie deserve to make more money than what it did this weekend? Oh, probably not. No. <laughs> like, this seems, seems about right. Um, it was kind of like, like we're, we're kicking the dog a little bit, though. You <laughs> it's know? already <laughs> dead. It's already dead. Um, here's the thing. Like, like you're saying, Dave, I think this is a movie that is 
something I should be able to enjoy in the way that you could kind of enjoy Anna. Like I enjoy, I enjoy spy movies. I enjoy action movies. I enjoy B grade spy action movies all the time. And I'm really digging Reed Morano. I think Blake Lively can be a great uh, lead actress. And she's actually, I think she's genuinely good in this movie, but this movie, I will say it is, uh, it is dragging. It's not rushing. This is a movie that drags and drags and drags. And it just feels like, Everything it does, just the the basic premise is, oh, man, she lost her family and now she wants revenge. And that is that's it. And I think the movie spends a lot of time really trying to bake that into you. But, man, this is territory where it's like Jason Bourne. They found him <laughs> floating in the ocean. They just found him. And then he, you know, the character, the story, like the the ways we've seen movies like these go. Um, it, they've just been all done in so so much more interesting ways. Even like Atomic Blonde, which is a movie I adore, I absolutely love. Um, it does a lot of like very stereotypical things within the genre really well and really stylishly, uh, with a flair that this movie doesn't quite do. I think um, I usually like Reed Morano's style, but when it comes to the action here, first of all, there's not much in this movie. Like it takes a while for us to get to anything resembling an action scene. Um, and the way it's shot is very, uh, it, it feels confusing. It feels like Paul Greengrass light at times. Like it's a little more stable. It's not as shaky, but it's also like a very soft focus there. There's a shootout in this movie where she is like shooting somebody in a, in a doorway behind her. And it's like, it is like the lowest, uh, depth, <laughs> depth of field. field. Depth yeah. of field. Yeah. All these, she's shooting a blob in the background. And that is the, the interesting aspect of this and of this action scene. This is, this is a real, so I want to comment on a couple of things you said. Number one, uh -huh. agreed that I think Blake Lively is awesome. Like she is not only is she good in this movie, she's consistently good. I mean, did you guys see the shallows, right? That's a, yeah. it's a movie. She is the only actor in like 90% of that movie. And she's awesome. She's amazing. She really commits to every single thing she does, including yeah, this she's movie, right? acting her butt off in this in yeah. this movie. She's, so she's like, I am acting. Yeah, she's really good. Okay, so she's she's amazing, not just in this movie, but in, in movies in general. So let's put that out there. The second thing is, this is the first movie I think I've ever seen that I felt like, hey, cool it on the anamorphic, please. Um, it's <laughs> it's uh, it's a movie that's shot in what's called anamorphic format. And uh, that that impacts the aspect ratio of the the, the image, right? So the anam anamorphic aspect ratio uh, is, I think, uh, 2.40 to 1, right? So, like, mm -hmm. basically the length of the screen is 2.4 times the height of the screen. Uh, so it's a very, like, kind of wide image. And there are special lenses that you can use to shoot an anamorphic that have, like, really cool effects. You can achieve very shallow depth of field. And that's what this movie does. But it does it so much. Like, I love anamorphic. It's beautiful yeah. when somebody saw an anamorphic. This movie, it goes to anamorphic. It goes full anamorphic. You should well, never go anamorphic full anamorphic. During high, like high, <laughs> fast moving action scenes, it just feels like, what are you, yeah, yeah. What and, are you doing? And, and to be fair, just yeah. being anamorphic does, does not necessarily mean you need to shoot shallow depth of field. It's something that anamorphic is capable of, it, providing sure. this very interesting looking shallow depth of field. 
But this movie leans into it so mm-hmm. hard that it actually becomes distracting, in my opinion. Yeah, um, there, there, so, there's one thing I want to bring up, like one yeah. action scene. So like there is there is a car chase in this movie, as is, uh, you know, demanded in every spy movie. It is shot entirely from like the passenger side of the car. Like it's it's it seems like all a one take too. Yeah. Um. So like there is something interesting to it. I think some of my you know that is a perspective scene in a lot of my like favorite uh, chase scenes like Ronin or the Born Supremacy. And I, I think there's some aspects of that chase. Like I, you could deconstruct it and be like, oh, this is a really interesting way to present this action scene because it really puts you in, um, you know, the, the insanity of it. But it's also like so shallow at times where it's like the camera is racing to keep up with like whatever they're driving past. Like it's, it's, you can't really get a sense of speed or place or anything. So it fails as an action scene because of that. And it's just, it's unfortunate. I have more to say about that, but we'll save it for spoilers. Jeff Kanata, your thoughts on the rhythm section. Well, Dave, I guess you could say my thoughts on the rhythm section are best summed up in the form of a limerick. Oh, what a pleasant surprise. (laughs) Revenge flicks tend to have guns. Over the top is how it is done. But when an agent is trained and realism is maintained, what gets assassinated is the fun. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent, Jeff. That's, well I, that's one of my favorite ones. Thank you. Nicely done. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's you know, you, we talked a lot about Anna. And, and in yeah. the context of Anna, a lot of really excellent... Of what is a very, I think, uh, cool subgenre. You know, this this uh, revenge flick, uh, and usually the joy of the revenge flick is the satisfaction you want to yes. have yes. of the character getting revenge. Yeah, right. That is usually it. Yes. And how do you create a <laughs> desire for that satisfaction? <laughs> well. You know, this is a this is a very tried and true thing. If you can even think of something like uh, like Kill Bill, right? Yeah, it's a yeah. revenge film where a woman goes and becomes something that she would n- never was before. She becomes this assassin. You know, in a lot of these movies we've we've been talking about, it's just an average woman. To, to be clear, she yeah, was already. To, to be an fair, she, I think she was already an assassin. She, yeah, for she a was an assassin. Then. She yeah. was part of an assassin group. Right, 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 right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, kill. All right, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, guys, come on. Yeah, stick with me. Motiv- yeah. This lacks motivation. I'd yeah. say. Yeah. Well, but there are a lot of movies yes. where yes, you know, you you have a person they get they go through an extraordinary thing, and they become some they become a an assassin, and you want to see them assassin things, and the reason you want to do that, the reason I brought up Kill Bill is it's very personal. And that's how you d- create that desire. It be- it's very personal. It becomes it becomes this thing of of like we as the audience want that for them. What this movie does is a very sad thing, which is a plane <laughs> went down, and her family died on, on, in a plane crash. Mm-hmm. But there was literally nothing personal about it at all. The, nothing nothing personal about it. It is uh, dry and uh, and it has much more to do with geopolitical things and, you know, it may be ripped from the headlines, maybe realistic, but not personal and certainly not something where I find myself wanting that visceral revenge because it was so – now, 
what the movie does to try to make up for that is gives us about a half an hour of how bad her life got because of yes, it. yes, and it wallows in that this movie is lugubrious and did you slow. see the word? Wow, thank you. It is it is a a wallowing slog of a movie, and you go okay. Well, as soon as we meet our cool you know, trainer, you know that's what's going to happen. We're going to get tra- we're going to become a weapon. We're going to transform into an assassin. And how do we do that? We are going to have to do some insane stuff, man. That's another trope of these kinds of films. This yeah. subgenre is you got to like, get a montage. You, know? you need a montage. You got to go through something. You got you to be turned from just an average woman into an assassin. <laughs> or in this movie, <laughs> you can jog a few times, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and you could shoot a gun at a shooting range and then go you for a could swim. Take a, a very, very cold swim. Very which, cold uh, swim. You know. Very, very cold swim. I do wonder how cold the water was when she did that because that is one of those things like it's hard to fake, too. Yeah. She's yeah. acting her guts out in this movie. Yeah. Acting it. She's bringing it. But to what end? This movie. And then there are twists and turns we'll get to that. Okay. I don't. All right. I guess that that was supposed to be interesting. Uh, yeah, this movie never does anything that is remotely interesting to me. I agree with you, Devendra, that that car chase is pretty fun and uh, well sh- uh, shot and, and is a novel. I don't but, know if it's well boy, shot, but it is well, interesting. Yeah. It, it is novelly shot. It is uh, uniquely yeah. shot. And uh, to that, I was like, oh, hey, that's something. Yeah. But it's, boy, it's like, I've never seen this done before. And then I think a minute into it, I'm like, oh, this is why this was never done before. Maybe yeah. it, bear, it it attempts to get a heartbeat for a second and then it just it just doesn't. And it boy, and and I think I understand what the motivation was. I think the motivation for this whole movie was like, what if those assassin movies, but real, like real, <laughs> except that that's not what's fun about these assassin movies. What's fun about these assassin movies is how crazy over the top and fun they can be, as we talked about yeah. with. Anna and and Atomic Blonde and how it becomes this wish fulfillment of like, you done me wrong. Now I am your worst nightmare. Uh, Except she's nobody, not anybody's worst nightmare. She's just sort of like plodding her way through it. And and every reveal that happens in this movie is like someone just walks up to her and (laughs) says it. It's it's not it's not it's it's unfortunate because Blake Lively's fun. And uh, this genre can be fun, but this movie is zero fun for me. Uh, I want to get to spoilers real quick, but I'll just say that uh, uh, to piggyback off of something that Jeff Kanata said, I I think the issue really is one in tone, right? This movie is so bleak. It's so dark. But the problem with having an extremely bleak, dark uh, tone for your movie is you have to have like a, a solid story to back that up, in my opinion. And the story is completely ludicrous and it like it just is ridiculous it makes so many things about the story make no sense whatsoever uh it's very very over the top i mean you find her uh being a prostitute at the beginning of the movie because her life has gone way downhill uh she's addicted to drugs and it's like okay i, I get it but it just, it's just 
it's like an over the top version of what would happen to someone for, for which like who has suffered through something like that. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And and the movie doesn't let up in terms of how over the top it is throughout the course of the runtime. And so I just think it's a matter of the tone not matching the material, right? It's just so dark. It's like let's be ultra realistic. Let's and but then the plot is just really pretty dumb. So that's how I feel about the movie. Uh, but there are some good things about it. I think there are a couple, a, a few actually pretty great sequences. Uh, and Blake Lively is great. It's fun to watch her do her thing here. But overall, it's not a good movie. So let's talk about spoilers for the rhythm section starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. Are going to see this coming? No. But you won't find it because, of course, you're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret now. You want to be fooled. So I will say, I actually really love that car chase sequence. I think mm-hmm. it's it's really well done. And what's great about it is how like chaos seems to be breaking loose and exponentially getting bigger and bigger as the you, you realize like this yeah, this is yeah. the thing about this movie is she is terrible at this like. And that's one of the big problems too. Is, um, is it's not really clear if the movie thinks she's bad at her job. You know what I mean? Like, because the very final shot of the movie is her being like walking into the distance with this total badass music playing. But like, she contributed almost nothing to this entire process because <laughs> she's so <laughs> she she messes up every single assassination job, other than the last one, which wasn't even one of the jobs, right? Like every assassination job, she messes up in some major way, including in one instance, not killing the person. Um, so, <laughs> which really is the <laughs> job one of being an assassin, I, I would say. Number one priority is the person. Has like that's to, the first question you ask is like, did you assassinate the person? <laughs> forget about forget about the like nice to haves, Jeff. Like. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, yeah, did you leave? Did you leave a lot of like DNA of yours behind? Did you leave any right, like right. weapon? Like those uh, are yeah. nice. How many have. other people got hurt? How many no, yeah, collateral the, damage? The, the first question I'm going to ask when you get you walk through the door is, "Did you assassinate the person I told you to yeah. assassinate?" Yes. Or, if the or, answer is no. Or did yeah. the person accidentally you... die as a result of actions you took? You know, like either one would be acceptable. Yeah. Um, but if the answer is no, then you're not very good at what you're doing, right? You really didn't finish. You know, just saying. <laughs> so she's really bad, and but that's kind of refreshing on some level because. Yeah, because hey, this like it's yeah. it's actually realistic. Like, hey, this person who was like strung out and had been through this trauma wouldn't necessarily be the most skilled assassin after you know however long they trained her. What? Yeah, a after month? Uh, you know three three weeks of running <laughs> through the forest a few times. I do think the sequence is great when she's walking into the water and they do it all in one long shot, and that's like yeah. really imp- like it's like. Do they have like, wa- like water heaters like right off yeah. the screen? Who knows how they did it? Um, but it, it, it looks like she actually did it. Whether or not she actually did it, it looks like she actually did it, and that's amazing. And then there is a knife fight that she has with Jude Law like while he's training her that happens all in one long shot as well uh, that I thought was actually really impressive. Plus the car chase scene all happens in one long shot. So there's like a, a handful of really visually arresting sequences in this movie the knife fight in his his little shack. In his kitchen yeah it's all, that's it all is, one shot yeah it, it, it i didn't even notice it was one shot because i could barely see anything <laughs> like it was so dark 
that I couldn't see. I could barely make out Jude Law's silhouette. I couldn't make out like the actions of what they were doing with their knives. I saw furniture crouching. It could just be that the theater I saw it in just wasn't projecting bright enough, but it seemed fine. Like in other scenes, it just seemed like a really bad idea to set an action scene in a dimly lit cabin. I fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, you weren't, you weren't as impressed as I was with the action scene. I That's couldn't cool. see it. I just I wanted <laughs> to see it. So the trouble for the movie begins right at the top. Uh, where <laughs> there is a journalist trying to find her for no reason. Like, there's, right. as far as I understand, there's no reason he's trying to find her. Like, do we ever even learn what he's looking he's for? Got a, he's got that wall with everyone's picture on it yeah. and her picture's on it. So, you know. Well, he's like, you're, you're a missing piece of the puzzle or something. Yeah. He, she's another victim, I guess. But yeah, it doesn't make sense. Like, what, yeah. what, what does he want? He never articulates what is his goal. With, with Listen, every down. journalist creates a wall for their big stories, you know, in, in their bedrooms, basically. Like, you got to have yeah. that. You, you got to you gotta really, like, really go out there with the visuals. Otherwise, how would how you write a story? Also, you've been tracking this woman uh, for a long time and ostensibly know where she is. Yeah. But rather than just walk up to her and go, hey, I, I may have some information about your dead family. <laughs> you go, you know what I'll do, see, is I'll pay for sex with her and then get in the room and drop that bomb because <laughs> yeah so here's no, my no, no here's my time. theory about why the journalist character was included is that like i think the politics of this movie come straight out of a 90s action film yeah or you know where yep. it's like oh these uh these brown people are bombing things for reasons that aren't super clear to us uh and so we need to have middle eastern characters in here that aren't terrorists uh, so that the movie doesn't come off as like a piece of racist propaganda. And that's why you have the journalists at the beginning, and that's why you have kind of the rich family that finances her actions, is that they otherwise the movie would just be ridiculously simplistic and otherizing mm -hmm. in, in its depiction of... Yeah, of, pa um, parents yeah. of a good brown person. Yes. A revolutionary. Yes. That's yes. right. That's right. Exactly. So that's my theory as to why that character's in there, because otherwise I don't think he serves any purpose other than this is like she gets that guy killed even when she's <laughs> <laughs> like she's not even trying to get that guy killed. And she, like actually yeah, yeah. The, of the two people that she gets killed, one of them is an accident in the movie. Right. <laughs> Listen, um, guys, I've been watching a lot of Sesame Street these days. Um, yeah, it comes with the territory. Uh, there is a cookie monster a spy like thing that they do once in a while. I feel like Cookie Monster has been a better spy than like Lively in this movie. <laughs> she is well, very bad. But, but she's she's yeah. extraordinary before she has any training because within <laughs> five minutes of looking for the bomber, she finds him in a cafe. <laughs> finds him somehow? in a cafe, has a gun pointed directly at him. She The movie could be over right then. <laughs> Right? Yeah. Like, I couldn't believe that. I was like, oh, she's just going to kill some random brown person. And that's how this movie's going to spin out. That would have been great, control. actually. They had but, actually done that. And, like, yeah, she's, like, she's just going to yeah. go and kill the first Middle Eastern person she sees. And that's how this is It's going to get quick. <laughs> no, she literally found this guy <laughs> the, immediately. The, who we find out is a terrorist, is a terrorist, right? Immediately yeah. finds the terrorist she was looking for, the guy <laughs> who created the bomb, immediately finds him. No yeah. problem. Well, it's also, they knew where he was. Like, nobody, it's not like he was in hiding. It's just like, <laughs> I think the secret was nobody knew what he actually did. And she kind of blew that part. Like, it's yeah. a weird thing to, like, just 
put that on a plate and then the rest the whole rest of the movie is like oh let's go kill the guy that you could have killed easily then yeah. I, it's a really strange <laughs> really strange really thing. strange structure well well here's the thing jeffrey is that the the big mystery of the movie right is is who is behind that guy right yeah. who's the guy behind that guy who U17 uh, who's U17 right that's what we want to yeah. know about and the answer is Sterling K. Brown, for some reason, the the <laughs> the only other person we've met in the movie. The, well, that was hilarious. It's like when they bring up like, "Hey, we still haven't found who U seventeen is," and I'm like, my mind is like flipping through clearly, the rolodex of who's clearly. been in the movie. I'm like, there's only like six characters in this movie, so like, yeah, it's gonna be one of them, basically, right? Yeah. Uh, and yeah. she has a sexual relationship with him because they're both attractive people. So that's right. Right, that's why. That's why. It's a, it's a it's a classic James Bond thing of like yeah you you have sex with the person who ends up being yeah the evil person I guess I don't know. <laughs> this is by the way a movie by uh by the Bond producers and yeah. I found that to be kind of interesting like was this their attempt at like a a more female driven series and now they're gonna be like well this is why this is why we didn't want to do this guys even though we know uh No Time to Die has a has one so but she finds know. she finds Sterling K Brown because <laughs> the guy tells her where he is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the, the, and then she, everything she learns is because someone just straight up tells her this stuff. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's no, there's no spying. She's there's like a no... young recruit, basically. Like she's just taking orders from the guy over the radio. By the way, I want Sterling K. Brown's life from this movie. Like, I just want to like live in Madrid and just like chill out and have espressos and uh, also have gotta, this massive village villa for no reason. Got to be evil, like the be evil. of the devil. Yeah. Uh, the, you know? the coolest thing about this movie, the coolest thing about this movie, is the title. Uh huh. And <laughs> there is it's a cool title. For you know, and the idea it, it that it probably led to nobody seeing this movie though. Well, but the, just throwing the that idea out. that you, you're you have to deal with your rhythm section in order to yeah. do anything could have been a major <laughs> spine of this whole film. Yes, like sure. it's the title of the movie. You have a, a neophyte killer who's who is just a just a just a girl. She's just a was a we see the flashback. She's just a girl who was obsessed with selfies. That's all she was. But she becomes a killer, a hardened assassin. And the reason, the way she does that is she has to deal with her rhythm section one time in an offhanded comment and never again. Like, why isn't, why isn't that theme completely reinforced over and over yeah. and over again about having to deal with your rhythm section about it should be a part it, of the score. It should yes. be like a part of the soul of the movie. The yeah. inner life, her inner life should be as big a character as anything else in this movie because it would be it would make it fascinating and interesting like how difficult it is to control yourself in these situations that are larger than life but it it's a completely squandered opportunity it's just a it's just a, a, a title that some throwaway line i can imagine maybe in the book there's lots of rhythm sectiony stuff <laughs> but in the movie it's just a complete throwaway yeah we should clarify that the rhythm section is a reference to like uh your body basically right like think of uh, how your, you breathe. your yeah. your heart is your the heart beating yeah. is the drums yeah. your your uh, breath is the bass and that she she's like all out of control at the beginning of the movie and then she needs to get her rhythm section under control mm -hmm. i think there's two big problems with that whole situation right one is that 
there's no progress in her rhythm section. Like, there's it, it's right. one, be one thing is like she starts and like she's very bad, and then by the end she's like, okay, I finally got it under control. Yeah. You know, yeah. Or, or you see montage. her working or on montage. that or thinking yeah. about that in any way whatsoever. Doesn't really happen. And the second thing is there's this whole setup at the beginning of uh, Jude Law kind of promising her that hey, you know, uh, he she he like he like uh, she shoots uh, a target and. Uh, he's like, great job. That's the easy part. And she's like, what's the hard part? And he says, living with it, you know, which is like something that uh, someone might say, you know, in a very cliche Reddit post or something like that. But I think that the the problem is that the movie doesn't have the goods when it comes yeah. to like, hey, taking revenge actually is really unsatisfying. This fact, has never been explored before in anything. Well, it's been this explored a, before. It's been, it's, I would actually be okay if it explored it, but yeah. it did not explore it. It just no, was like, it, it just was like, Hey, um, remember this whole thing about revenge being bad? Well, guess what? Uh, not us. We didn't remember it at all because by the end of the movie, she's like framed to be this kind of badass hero who can't wait to get her new, like the next, uh, uh, sort of entry in this franchise mm-hmm. of her being super cool assassin. Don't go and, chasing monsters yeah. lest you become a monster yourself. Well, the, so it's, profound. It, I mean, so it's profound. they didn't even follow through on that. Is what I'm saying, Devinder. <laughs> it's like if it said that, that would be like that would at least be like somewhat different than John Wick, you know. Anyway. But like, it's just not doesn't even have the follow through on that. So I, I will say though, it doesn't have the gravitas of John Wick, <laughs> indeed, which is indeed. crazy to say. Yeah. Doesn't yeah. have the dogs of John Wick either. Yeah. Um, I agree, Jeff. Like the title sounds cool. I do think like trying to talk about this movie with people, they're like, "What the hell are you talking about?" The rhythm <laughs> section. Like I do think that was a profoundly bad decision to name this movie after, I guess, a book series that maybe not everybody knows. There's probably a little more room. For that, and I'll say, um, if anybody else watched this movie and was left down by it, uh, go check out. Uh, I'm thinking of like all the cool little spy movies that I really enjoy. I really liked Anton Corbin's The American, starring George Clooney, and that is a nice, chill Italian spy movie with Clooney in suits, uh, killing bad guys. It's a slow burn, but it's a slow burn in a good way. Um, yeah, this is a slow burn in a bad way. This all is right. a sl- slow. And then there's not really much burn. <laughs> it's, 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 yeah. It's a, it's just a slow and that's it. Yeah. No burn. There's no burn. It. We wish there was burn. You need some burn. You need some burn when it comes to the assassin movies. That's going to bring us to the end of our review of the rhythm section. Uh, and thanks for listening. You can find more episodes of this podcast at slashfilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast.gmail.com. Our theme song comes from adamwarrock.com. Our spoiler bumper comes from filmmaker Kyle Hillinger. And this episode was produced by Baby Zhang. Uh, edited, I should say, by Baby Zang. Um, and stay tuned to your. We'll be discussing next week. In the meantime, Jeff Canada, where can people find more of your work on the internet? Well, you can always follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Canada, which is spelled with two N's and one T. I do a video game podcast uh, called DLC that you can find at 5x5.tv/dlc. You can also find it wherever you get podcasts. And I do a live play Dungeons and Dragons show where I'm making up the epic story. So if you want to see me put my money where my mouth is, that's where I do it. It's called The Dungeon Run. And uh, this, is a, this is a show I would love for you to check out and let me know what you think of. Uh, you can find it a number of ways. One is by searching on YouTube, by uh, searching for The Dungeon Run on YouTube. Uh, another is listening to it as an audio show. It's a fun audio show. I do a bunch of voices on the show, by the way. I did. Uh, I did Sean Connery last week. Give us, uh, give us your Sean Connery. Yeah, 
You got to tune into the dungeon run to hear that, man. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Uh, it uh, it is uh, an audio podcast. You can find it wherever you get audio podcasts by searching for the dungeon run, and it's also recorded live Wednesday nights at six p.m. Pacific time at caffeine.tv slash the dungeon run. How about you, Devendra? Oh, I'm on Twitter at, at Devendra, and I write about tech at Engadget.com. And uh, check out the Engadget podcast. I'm co-hosting that with uh, Sherlyn Lowe from Engadget. We're talking about all sorts of fun stuff. And uh, yeah, check out for a review of Mythic Quest later this week. I have a YouTube channel at YouTube.com slash Dave Chensky. That's Dave Chensky. And check out my podcast, Culturally Relevant, at culturallyrelevantshow.com, where I interview cool people, uh, artists, writers, directors from around the internet and around the world. Next week, we'll be discussing Birds of Prey. Birds of Prey. Uh, I think the full title is actually Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn, which just, it's it's, it's a mouthful, guys. It's an awesome title. I love that. Really? Do you like? That's awesome. It's like one of those titles, like, uh, you know, that Fiona Apple title? You know, like she has those those really long album titles. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, I like that. um, Yeah, you're a fan. Stylish. Yeah, Stylish? I dig that stuff. Does that mean you can commit to saying the entire title anytime it's mentioned on next week's episode of the podcast? I will commit to that. Yes. <laughs> okay. It's not going to fit well into a limerick, but I'll do my best. Oh, yeah. I, I think by the time you finish saying the title, the limerick is over, is my yeah, understanding. Yeah, that's true. So, I run out of syllables. Yeah. All right. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week for our new and updated format. Looking forward to your thoughts at slashfilmcast.gmail.com. See you later. We watch the movie. Tracks for the good, bad, it's the slash boom.